0: Your missionaries are a great blessing uh, to our fellowship. We're going to go to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10 this evening. Do you know that uh, a major event in world history uh, had an anniversary back in November that was pretty much ignored by the media here in America? Ten years ago, as they were looking forward to this event, they were planning on uh, major um, news coverage. It was going to be uh, a very important thing. It was going to be uh, uh, covered, and uh, I understand there was a pandemic, but that's not really the reason why they didn't cover it. And the event that I'm referring to was that uh, uh, November 21st, uh, 1620, the Mayflower arrived in America 400 years ago. The Mayflower arrived in America. Put that picture up, and there's the Mayflower right there. I took it with my iPhone, so it's a little blurry, <laughs> but there, there's the Mayflower. It arrived 400 years ago. It is one of the most significant events in human history, and yet they didn't cover it. You know why? Because to many people in America today, that wasn't a good thing, that was a bad thing. The Mayflower, uh, the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, these are, these are bad ships. These are terrible things, uh, and, and uh, they, they ignored it. They barely said a word about it, and uh, I might have offended two or three people by showing this. Well, if this offends you, Then you know, fasten your seatbelt. But I, I want to <laughs> tell you about the Mayflower uh, this evening because it is an amazing story. You know, you have Christians that were being persecuted in England. It got so bad that they decided to go to Holland because there was a religious liberty at the time. Spain would eventually take that away. But at that time they could go. And so this Christian community went to Holland and they lived there for 10 years. And what happened was that their children uh, began growing up in Holland, and they were worried about their children uh, being, uh, 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 becoming worldly living in Holland. I, I guess Amsterdam was already a party city back then. And these people didn't, uh, uh, you know, they, they said, we can't stay here because we're going to lose our children. And so, of course, they heard the stories of the Americas and the things that were going on. And so they decided that they were going to go and so they got a hold of this ship that's supposed to still be up there, and, uh, and uh, as they went up there, uh, they were going there, it's very, very interesting, because they left late, in late September, they got a late start to cross the North Atlantic, there were 102 people on that ship. Ladies, listen to this, somebody had a baby during the journey. and. Uh, uh, they, sir, they, they were on the water 67 days. 67 days going over the North Atlantic in that time of year, massive storms, and they were blown 500 miles off course. They were actually going to Virginia, and of course, they ended up in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. They went there, and, for five, and, and they finally arrived, and they knew they were off course. They knew that when they came out of that boat, that they were going to go somewhere where there were no Europeans. And that when they stepped off that boat, that they were going to have to establish their own colony or their own community. And before they got off the boat, these men had enough sense to say, "Okay, before we go out there and start this whole new land, this whole new uh, concept of ordering a society, let's agree right now. These men sat there, and they made decisions. One man, one vote. A leader will be chosen. The freedom to worship. They called that the Mayflower Compact. They signed that, uh, and little did they know when they signed that compact that they were laying the seeds of what we would call the Constitution of the United States, the founding documents of our country, because the men in that boat Decided that they were going to do that. You realize that only one third of them were, were Christians, two-thirds of the people that were not actually part of what we would call the pilgrims. A year later, half of them were dead. And I'm stand here. I was born in Stockton, California. My parents moved to Tucson, Arizona when I was a child, when I first got sent out. When I first got sent out, um, I went to New Mexico, and then finally to the Promised Land. And um, I'll tell you something. Uh, I'm a child of the Southwest, but I stand here before you and say, I thank God for what those people did 400 years ago. The incredible blessing and the greatest nation on planet Earth is because of what those people did And half of them lost their lives in the first year. I want to preach a sermon tonight called Thank God for People. And those of you that are watching online, the Chandler churches, missions around the world, you ought to thank God for these people. And I want you to see this Acts chapter 10. We'll go there in the word of God. Acts chapter 10. It says in verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. As a saturn of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his house, gave his alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And verse 8 says, uh, so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Father, I ask you to help us tonight. Oh, God, that we are grateful for what you have done and we are grateful for those that you used to do it. God, I pray give value to your worker tonight in Jesus name. Amen. So let's begin to look at thanking God for people. Now, here's our passage this evening. It is one of the most important uh, stories in the whole Bible. A man named uh, Cornelius, he's an Italian man. Is visited by an angel of God because God has chosen uh, to reveal um, a, 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 one of the most glorious revelations of all the Bible to this man. This man is not uh, a Christian and he is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. He believes in the God of the Jews, but he is not a Jew. And as this man has sought God, uh, kind of like as I preached last night on the Ethiopian eunuch, there was something in him uh, that wanted God. Um, And so God said, I've got a special message. And that message is uh, that when Jesus Christ died, he didn't just die for the Jew, but he died for the Gentile. How many thank God for that? And that you got to understand how unique that message would have been back then. Now, let's remember something very quickly. God had raised up the Jewish people. They are his chosen people, but he chose them because he was going to reveal who he was through them. He gave them prophets. He gave them commandments. He gave them miracles. He gave them bread from heaven. He gave them a land. He gave them a tabernacle and later a temple. Uh, And he gave them this glorious revelation, but it wasn't just for them. Uh, It was so that the nations could understand who God is by how he dealt with them and worked through them. The problem was the Jewish people made a huge mistake, and they began to believe uh, that God just loves us, but he hates everybody else. And they began to view Gentiles as dogs. They began to view them as, as uh, cordwood for the fires of hell. They, they didn't believe that God cared about them. Um, and so here, by the time we come to chapter 10, uh, no uh, Gentile has even been preached to. No Gentile they made no effort to even try to reach them—and so God has said, "I'm going to reveal this wonderful truth of mankind." Through this man uh, or to this man, uh, Cornelius. Now, let me just stop right here and say this evening, uh, you might have come into this building tonight and you're messed up. You're on drugs. Your marriage is falling apart. Somebody dragged you along to church tonight. I want to tell you what the angel of God uh, was trying to tell Cornelius, and that is, uh, I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to forgive you. He wants to change your life. And so God uh, uh, deals with him, but this is where the story begins to have meaning for us tonight. Verse 5, now send men to Joppa and send to Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. So wait a minute. If an angel can tell me all this, why can't he tell me the rest? I mean, if you, you're going to be so specific to tell me where a guy named Peter is staying, uh, why, why, why do we have to go get Peter? Just tell me. And he wouldn't tell him. An angel wouldn't tell him. Because if men are going to hear the gospel, they're going to hear it from other men. See, wouldn't it be great tonight if we could just use angels and we didn't have to do this? If we just simply got angels and And, uh, uh, you know, and and we sent them and, you know, Pastor Campbell on his Friday night of the conference, we're going to send Gabriel uh, is going to Africa and Michael into Australia is Michael. uh, And uh, and listen, how many? it's like e-missionaries. You ever met an e-missionary? They just sit in their Chinese and witness to people online. And I want to tell you something tonight. The principle of the gospel is if God would move, he must find a man. God must find a man. God uses people. He leaks his incredible gospel to man. That is the privilege and responsibility that you and I bear. Mark 16, 15, our marching orders, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus Christ died on a cross, shed his blood. He paid an incredible price to save mankind. And then when he rose from the dead, he took everything that he'd done and he looked at 11 men and he put it in their hands. And if someone was going to be reached, he was going to be reached through them. It was going to be a man. God says it has to be a man. It's not going to happen any other way. Um, He deposited in men and not just men, but flawed men. I know, beloved, there are many people who love to attack the church. That here in the, in the valley, uh, here of the sun, uh, there are a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but they don't go to church because churches are full of hypocrites, and all pastors want are your money. And there are too many conflicts, uh, and so I don't go to church. i want to tell that to Cornelius, because God said, if you're going to get help, uh, somebody's got to help you. Somebody has to uh, share the gospel with you. Now, stop for a minute and place yourself in Cornelius' shoes. Because God has linked his salvation, not only his, but his family, his friends. He has tied this man's blessing and destiny to another man, to some human agency. That's a powerful thought. That if this is going to happen, a man is going to have to come and talk to you. It's not happening any other way. That is for the crowd that says, well, you know, uh, you know, I have this relationship with Jesus and I don't really need anybody else. Tell that to Cornelius. Listen, folks, none of us just woke up one day and decided to get saved. Nobody just one day said, you know, I think I'm going to repent of my sin. Uh, I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm telling you tonight, you are saved because somebody was used by God to help you. Amen. Amen. That's how you got saved. Listen, somebody prayed for you. Somebody prayed and brought you into the kingdom of God. We sing that song, somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, took the time and prayed for me. Amen. I want to tell you tonight, if you're saved and in your right mind, somebody prayed for you. You know, God visited my family very, very powerfully back in 1978 and 79. And it was very dramatic. It was it was like it wasn't gradual. We did not grow up with the Bible. We did not grow up with a a powerful sense of of Christianity at all. We were very nominal Catholics. uh, And I want to tell you, uh, I can go back to the day. When the gospel winds began to blow in our house, uh, here we were, me and my brothers, there's five of us. We're all long-haired, dope-smoking, cheech and chong disciples. uh, And uh, the gospel wind began blowing uh, into our house. uh, And in a matter of months, all five of us got radically saved, delivered, uh, amen, from sin, uh, generational curses. uh, And here I am now, 42 years later, all of us have been married to the same woman for almost 40 years. That's a miracle. But I tell you, people say, well, what happened? Where did that come from? Who prayed for you? I've met some people along the way that say I get the credit, but I, I, I wonder. I do remember this, that uh, we grew up in Stockton, and we grew up in this little uh, house there, and, uh, and uh, 25 years later, thereabouts, we went back there and had a family reunion, uh, and uh, something like that. 25, 30 years later, but we, here we are now. We all have our own families, and uh, we went back to Stockton, and we went back to our old house that we that first house, uh, and it's there. It's the hood. Uh, it's a pretty rough area. And we went over there, and we, you know, we're standing out. You got to imagine about five or six cars pull up. We all get out. Uh, now our family's grown like 30 or, or something like that, and we're all standing in front of this little house, and the neighbors are all looking at us. When I was a little kid, there was an old black lady that lived next door, her name was Mrs. Gaines. And so we're standing there, and somebody says, I wonder if Mrs. Gaines is still around. And in my mind, a long time ago, my brother Ray goes and knocks on the door, and here comes Mrs. Gaines. And she's an old lady, and I'm like, you were an old lady way back then, you know? <laughs> Looking back, she was probably about 40 years old back then. But when you're five years old, when you're 40, you're an old lady. I just, I just offended somebody right now. And so anyway, my brother Ray says, do you remember way back in the 60s that we lived here? And, and she starts to say, wait a minute, your father was a school teacher? He goes, yeah. And she says, are you those little boys? She goes, you know what? She said, and Ray says, you know what? Uh, we've come back. You know, the four of us became pastors and all that. And she's blown away. And she said, I used to pray for you little Mexican boys. <laughs> so who knows? I think she might have got the credit right there. She'll get the points in her account. I got witness to. The guy that brought the gospel to my family was a Marine, a a fatherless, lost young man who joined the Marines to become a man. Six months into it, he got busted for drugs, and he was washed out of the Marines. He became suicidal. And somebody found him in that condition, took him to Costa Mesa, to Calvary Chapel there, where he prayed. He got radically converted. He served God for a while in that church and then made the mistake at the time of coming back to Tucson uh, and he got back to Tucson and uh, we had heard rumors that he was back in town but we didn't see him and one day he showed up uh, and uh, and he told uh, he told us later, he said, I came back I tried to go to different churches, I couldn't find one uh, and he was an excited young Christian, he goes, I remember I've, I've started dealing with temptation and he says, one day, he said, I decided I'm going to backslide that's it, he said, I took all my christian music uh, christian paraphernalia bibles anything to do with my christianity and i shoved it in a drawer and i went to your house and he showed up he had money he began to buy large quantity of the drugs. We were in high school. Uh, Herb and Ray were a little bit older, but they, he gave us money uh, and drugs, and then we would sell them in the school, open doors. Um, and and uh, this guy, began free fall. And then one night, uh, he dropped Fred and I off after we were out doing, doing a sinning with him. And, uh, and they drove away, uh, and he got busted by the police um, and arrested for drunk driving. Uh, and he went to jail that night, got on his knees, uh, cried out to God, uh, The next day showed up at our house, chain-smoking, saying, Rich, you're going to go to hell, man. You're going to go to hell. You're going to burn in hell. Fred, you're going to hell. My dad showed up. Mr. Ruby, you're going to hell. And, I mean, his radical conversion, um, he found out there was a concert at a little church called The Dora. He went there, took Ray there. Ray got saved. um, And and by the the, the end of the story, we're all saved. uh, But somebody had to do that. There had to be a human agency. I was followed up on men like Eric Struts, Bill Cox, uh, Paul Stevens, were in the, and that and, and followed up on me. I have a pastor, Pastor Warner, for the last 42 years who discipled me. Everything I know about ministry is what he taught me. If I could emulate him, Pastor Mitchell uh, began to really help me and guide me and, as a leader and a church planner. And what I'm saying to you is none of us are products of just God helping us. He uses people. The use of a human agency. There are people that are involved in your life and laboring and ministering. Church that I pastor in San Antonio, we've been there for 33 years. And I want to tell you something. That church has been a greater blessing to me than I could have ever been to them. Because God uses people. The Apostle Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Five times you'll find in Paul's letter that he says uh, to the churches, I thank God for you. Because if God would move, he's going to move through people. Now, let me move along quickly then and talk about thank God for people. Because there has to be a practical application to this. I don't think anybody here disputes what I've just said. We all agree. Yeah, Pastor, I I thank God for people. You know, I originally put this sermon together around Thanksgiving when that anniversary happened. And I, I started thinking about something and I started perusing through the Bible. And I tried to find one place in the Bible where the Bible says that a man thanked another man. And I couldn't find it. Every time you find the word thank, thanksgiving, thankfulness, it's always men thanking God. Thank God for people. What about thanking people for God? So I preach a sermon, and whenever I say that, I know all the Bible uh, theologians out there are going to be the first one to come and find the scripture. Well, it's too late, some already found it for me. <laughs> and they found the one verse that we could locate. Where a man think, you know. Usually in the Bible, they'll say things like, "The Lord deal kindly with you," or "The Lord repay you." The only place that I have found, and it was pointed out to me, and guess who the theologian was? Is was my brother Ray, and uh, he he was quick. Soon as soon as I looked at my phone, there it was. It is where, and this is kind of interesting. It is where uh, uh, Joab. Thanks, David, for letting Absalom come back home. That's the only time you find the word thanks from one man to another. So why am I saying that? Well, first of all, all praise and glory belongs to God. So I don't have any problem with that, but it does obscure something. And that is, that, yeah, thank God for people. But do we really understand the idea of thanking people for God? Just as we ought to be grateful to God for people he has used to touch our lives, we ought to be grateful to people who have brought us closer to God. Now, let's think, let's let's go back to our story. So, Peter comes to this man, Cornelius. I want to read you in verse 25, says, Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, fell down on his feet and worshiped him. Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. So the, so the Bible tells us that when, when Peter arrived there, Cornelius got on his knees. A lot of us know the story, especially all ex-Catholics know that story. Because Peter's the first pope, but he wouldn't let him kiss his ring. Peter got up and said, get up off here, get up. You know what? And we'd show that verse and we, we say that. And I say, Peter, good on you, mate. You did exactly what you should have done. That's right. That was proper. The question I have for you is, was it improper? For the Cornelius to do what he did. Because remember now all Cornelius knows about Peter. That an angel says. That God has a powerful message for you and your family. And when this man comes in in Cornelius' database, remember, he doesn't, he doesn't come from that. He's not raised as a religious Jew. He's not, he's not a Christian. The only reference points he has is the pagan background that he's come from. And all he knows is that if an angel showed up and, and said an invitation letter for this man, uh, this man has significance. And he gets down uh, and, he, and he humbles himself because this is his way of saying, hey, I appreciate this. That somehow in his mind, and perhaps it's clear to him that sometimes it is us. That God uses people to minister to us, and we just blow it off. Or we dismiss it. But he didn't know anything about the man. All he knew is that this man came here with a message from God. And in his mind, this is the only way he knew how to demonstrate, I appreciate you. Because he somehow connected dots that sometimes I think we take for granted. You know, I could stop right here and preach. Because if this was a Bible conference, I would stop and preach about pastors who uh, want people to bow down to them. But I'm not going to do that tonight. But Listen to me tonight. Why should you be grateful for people that have brought you ministry because every one of them had paid a price to be a blessing to you. See, here's, think about this. Cornelius knows nothing about Peter. He doesn't know, know, all he knows is an angel said, this man's gonna help you, he's gonna bring ministry, he's gonna bring God to you. You and I, we know Peter. We know stuff about Peter that Cornelius doesn't know. Uh, We know stuff about Peter that Peter wouldn't want Cornelius to know. I mean, we know Peter uh, as the one that Jesus once called Satan. We know uh, Peter as the guy that uh, stepped out and sunk and Jesus had to reach in and pull him out of the water before he drowned. We know the Peter that said, Lord, uh, everybody else will forsake you, but not me. We know Peter denied the Lord three times. In other words, we know all about Peter's failures. We know all about his pride. We know all about his big mouth. We know all of his flaws. And that man doesn't know anything. All he knows uh, is that this guy has a message that can change me. Now, let me just stop for a minute. I wonder how many men here tonight are not responding to the call of God because you have failure in your past. You've had failure. Maybe you were redirected. Maybe uh, you uh, uh, were pursuing the ministry, but th- there's been failure. There are things that have happened, uh, and you sit here tonight, and you think it's the honorable thing to not answer the call of God uh, because, after all, you have failure. I want to tell you something. Cornelius over here, all those people in these flags and all these places, they don't know and they don't care. All they know is that you have a message from God that they need. But over here on this side, we're so caught up with ourselves uh, and our flaws and our failures uh, that we kind of think, I'm disqualified. What, was Peter disqualified? Think about it this way. Why should we be grateful for people that God uses? Because every one of those people that God has used to help you had to deal with failure in their lives. Every one of them have had to deal with heartbreak and disappointment. What I'm saying to you is that Peter had to get up off the mat. He had to decide to get up uh, when the devil was counting him out uh, and say, no, 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 it's not over for me. God still has a plan for my life. And I'm going to continue to proceed uh, and minister and bring the gospel to that person. Don't kid yourself. Every preacher here. Every person who ministers in this church uh, have been through things. They have gone through. They have all had times in their life where they they almost quit, where they almost said, that's it. I'm done. I'm just going to try to survive uh, until the rapture. And and they made up their mind. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. With all my problems, uh, with all the heartbreak of life, God, you're going to help me. And they went and they ministered to you. Uh, You don't see that part, uh, but God promised you that it's there and you got to be thankful to them that they did that. But we're not. We take it for granted. That brother that calls you when you miss church. Hey, bro, you okay? And you're all ticked off, man. Bro, I know what time church is. I've got the app on my phone. I know I can find my way. Pastor Campbell and these men get up and preach. And, they, and, and you get all ticked off. They're preaching at you. you never, they never even think. Here's God helping you. Through people that, that had to fight through things to, tip, to let God help you. You know, not only did Peter have to overcome failure, he had to overcome his own bias, his own prejudice. He didn't like Gentiles. He didn't believe Gentiles would be saved. He, he sees that blanket come down and those animals, and he knows what God's trying to tell him. And he's like, no. He was raised with a bias. He was raised with a prejudice. And here's God saying, I, I, I want to help you. Let, let me make a statement tonight, church. Ministry will always challenge selfishness. No, we talk about prejudice and bias. Let's let's get rid of all the uh, hyperbole tonight, and let's call it what it is. It's selfishness. I can say this tonight. The people that are in ministry here, these people that are giving their lives for the gospel, have had to fight through their own selfishness to do it. If that's true, then all these people that are here, but you're not in ministry, I'm too busy. on So let's call it what it is. It's selfish. You're on your own rooftop, and God is trying to tell you to do something that you don't want to do. The challenge is self. The challenge is to rethink you. And when this man walks into that house, Cornelius not knowing, he doesn't know about the dream, the vision, he knows none of that. But we know it. And here's somebody that takes a time, and they're not worried about, they're worried about you, man. They're praying for you, they fast for you, and you just take that for granted? Amen. How many know learning to say thank you would be a, a good idea? And I've got a three-year-old little grandson named Hamilton. Him and his little brother, Hudson, are the joy of my Melinda's life. And he's at three years old now. He's quite a talker. I don't know where he gets that. But um, <laughs> now they're—you know his, uh, Raquel is teaching him to say thank you. We give him all kinds of candy. And uh, that's the ministry of grandparents. And, uh, <laughs> And so I'll give it to him, and he'll and your Raquel say say thank you, thank you. But you know he don't mean it. <laughs> he's just saying it because he's you know mom's there, and not, if, I, if I don't say thank you, I ain't getting no more candy. <laughs> but it's not you know how I many saying thank you is simply uh, polite. It's etiquette. But I'm, my question to you is: Are you grateful? To the people that God has used to bless you? How grateful are you? Grateful enough not to talk about them behind their back? You know, I was thinking about the um, island of men on the island of Malta. Remember, you know, think about these are, I I don't know if I'm going to get thrown off of uh, YouTube for saying this, but these people would be like Savages. I mean, these people were uh, uh, uncivilized, if you will, and the Roman prison ships would stop there and they knew that the uh, the, uh, shipwreck happens. All the prisoners come and the Bible says that it was the Islanders, the Maltese, who actually built the fire. That's pretty hospitable for prisoners. Paul brings the wood, the snake jumps out, bam, hits him and the Maltese are the ones that have a sense of justice they have they're not judeo-christian ethic or anything they, they just know prison ship the guy escaped the shipwreck he's here a, sna- a poison snake bit him because this man justice is caught up with him that was their attitude he's a murderer and justice has caught him until paul grabs the snake throws it away and just keeps on working like oh that's a god And the Bible says that Paul begins to minister. He has a healing crusade. They're there for a couple of months until another ship comes along. And then it says these words. Luke says these words. He says, uh, we were showered with honors. And when the time came to sail, people supplied with us everything we would need. These people, It wasn't like a protocol. You know, after we, 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 as our our customer take a lot. They had none of that training. It was who they were. And they had, had brought God, and something in them said, this is the way we should deal with it, gratitude. You remember when Mordecai saved the king's life, and the king forgot to say thank you? Years, it took years for him to say thank you. They, there was an assassination plot to kill him, and Mordecai saved his bacon, and he didn't even say thank you. That means make a comment tonight in this church. There are people here that there was a time in your life where the devil had an assassination plot against you, and he almost got you. Could have been a bad boyfriend or a bad girlfriend that you almost married. Could have been some, uh, a religious predator. Could have been some rebel that got a hold of your ear. And somebody uh, came and exposed the plot. Uh, they might have rebuked you, got in your face, and here you are today, saved and serving God, and you have never said thank you. Hold on and clap. You've never said thank you. Let me take this one step further, if you'll permit me. I get this boldness here because Mark Olson's here. But I, I, let me take it a little bit further. There are some of you, the reason you're still saved is because somebody rebuked you. Pastor Campbell may have. And you're still mad at him. And instead of being grateful to him that you're still saved, you're still mad at him because he rebuked you. Years later, the king f- f- finally found out the truth. Thank people for God, man. Let me close then with what if. In my office, oh you know, Hamilton was in my office this week, and he said, Tata, you have thousands of books. I don't have thousands, but I've got quite a few. In, that, uh, in my uh, library there, I have some several books about what ifs or alternative histories. And they ask questions like, what if Hitler would have won the war? What if Kennedy had not been shot? What if Manu Ginobili doesn't foul Dirk Nowitzki in game seven of the 2006 playoffs? All the big questions in life. I got a what if for you. What if Peter had said no? I mean, what if Peter, I mean, he didn't want, he, he was a struggle. What if he'd said no? Now, I know the theologians that are here say, well, the end deliverance should arise from another place, but Peter and his house would have been destroyed. Possibly. But here's the truth. We don't know what we don't know. And we don't know about other Peters who said no. I mean, it's hard to get wrap our head around. Are there other Cornelius's out there that God is trying to get a hold of people to go because he's already had those folks there? I know this sounds dangerously close to last night's sermon at this point, but the reality was that God had prepared a people, but He had to prepare a man for those people. But it still comes down to what are we going to do? What if Peter had failed? I mean, what if? He did fail. But what if Peter, after he failed, said no? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be a blessing, fish, do other things. I'm going to have a very good fishing ministry. I'm going to raise money. I'm just going to be a supporter. What if Peter couldn't get past his own bias, his own prejudice, or his own selfishness? We don't know. But you know, the reason I bring that up is it ought to make us appreciate that the people that God has used in our life didn't say no. I want to take you back to the Mayflower, if you put that picture back up of the Mayflower. I want to close this sermon by just telling you one story. I I had read a book a while back on the Mayflower, and and this uh, jumped out at me. And it's about one of the men who traveled on the Mayflower there, John Howland. If you could put that picture up of John Howland. There he is. This guy, he's obviously older right here, but he was 27 years old, and he was on the Mayflower, but he wasn't one of the pilgrims. This man was, you worked the Mayflower to pay for his passage to America. He was 27 years old, and I, if you'll permit me, I'm going to read you what happened here, because this guy almost died on the journey. I'm going to read it to you, but just it's in written in kind of old English, but... In one of those terrible storms and one of the sails was tearing, he had to climb up there in the middle of the storm and he's trying to uh, uh, tie down the sail when a a huge wave came and literally he flew off the Mayflower and as he's flying off the Mayflower, he managed to catch a rope. (laughs) He finally went down deep in the water. Uh, The men had to go and they had to pull him up. And I'll just read you the paragraph if you'll allow me to. It says, Astonishingly, only one traveler a man of 27 named John Hallen suffered this usually fatal accident. Still more astonishingly, he survived it. As the ship lurched and he flew through the air, he managed to grab hold of a rope and cling to it doggedly. As William Bradford related it, it pleased God that he caught hold of the topsail halyards, which hung overboard and ran out at length. Yet he held his hold till he was hauled up by the same rope to the brim of the water. And then, with a boat hook and other means, got into the ship again, and his life saved. Howland brought a pint after pint of salt water and was ill for many days. But he completed the crossing and lived on in the New World to the ripe age of 80. So this guy is flying off the Mayflower, catches a rope, and survives. 400 years ago, I had read that book. And one day, I was speaking to an elderly woman and she said to me, You know, my family has a relative on the Mayflower. And she said to me, He almost died on the Mayflower. And I'd read the book and I actually went to my phone, pulled it up. And she said, That's my descendant. She is a descendant, a direct descendant of this guy. What struck me is that her son and I are very, very good friends. I want you to put up that picture. Next picture. There he is. Now, I don't know uh, how all of you know. That's Pastor Gene Lavelli. Gene Lavelli is a direct descendant of John Howland. Put that other picture up. Go back to John Howland for a second. Shouldn't take that long. Just go. There it is. Now, go back to Gene one more time. You see the resemblance right there? You know why I chose this picture? Gene and I got saved a couple months apart. No, no, like, go back. Just leave it on the Marine. All right. I chose this picture because Gene and I, Gene and I, got saved within a couple months of each other. Have just grown up together and discipled together. This picture I chose it because Gene has been our senior drill instructor at our boot camp for 23 years, and I love this picture because he's surrounded by young men. And over these many years, he now does it in Australia and Russia and other places around the world. Just this part of his ministry, he's had impact on thousands of young men. Thousands. He has a powerful church in Athens, Georgia. He plants workers. And he's just one life. All of that because 400 years ago, a man was flying off to Mayflower and he caught a rope. You have no idea the impact your life can make. Let's bow our heads. Our heads are bowed and we're before God. That's the power of the gospel. Here's God tonight, saying to mankind, "I have a special message for you, but I'm going to, you're going to hear it from a man. That man will not be perfect. That man's going to have his problems, but the very fact that that man is ministering to you, is a miracle. It's an appreciation, a sacrifice. Maybe you're in this building right now, and you're not saved, you're not right with God, or you're online and you're watching, you're not born again. And today, I'm Peter." an imperfect, flawed man, a man with failure in my past, a man with all the selfishness and biases of the human heart. But I'm here to share a wonderful, life-saving message with you, and that is that Jesus Christ can forgive your sin. He loves you. Peter went to a people who were told that God doesn't love them, and he said, I have good news for you, God loves you. And when Jesus died, he died for you. Maybe you're here you say, Pastor Ruby, you know what? I'm messed up. Maybe all my life I've been told nobody loves me. And the reason my life's so messed up is because somehow God doesn't love me. I'm here to tell you tonight, he loves you. Jesus died for you. Your life can be saved. Your, your heart can be changed. Before I do anything else, if you want prayer tonight, you say, Pastor Ruby, I need Jesus. I want you to put up your hand. And by holding your hand up, you're saying, I need prayer. God bless you. Thank you. Just lift up your hand. I thank you. God bless you. Who else? God bless you. Who else? That's his good news tonight, man. He loves you. You didn't come here for me to condemn you and point out all your problems. You know you have problems. I'm here to tell you that God loves you and he can change your life. Anybody else? Pastor Ruby, I want to repent. I'm tired of the the way I'm living. I want to follow Jesus. Lift up your hand. Backslider, lift up your hand tonight. I'm backsliding, Pastor. I'm far away tonight. I'm in this building, but I'm far away. Here's my hand. Amen. I want every one of you that lifted your hand, I want you to look at me. I want you to stand up where you are. Just stand up where you are. Don't be embarrassed. Come on, this is church. I want you to come. Come on, I want to pray for you. Come on down here. Every one of you that lifted your hand. These are coming. Over here you lifted your hand. Somebody else lifted their hand. Let's make sure we got counselors and pray for every one of these. Lead them in a sinner's prayer. Come down, just find a place to pray. I'm telling you tonight, our message is that Jesus loves you and he always intended to save you. Proud to God tonight. While our heads are bowed, let me talk to the church. What about it tonight? Every one of us are saved because God used somebody. I want to tell you tonight, God uses people. But you know what? So often, we get trapped in our own failure, we get trapped in our own, and we forget that out there are people that just want to hear the message. They don't care any more than Cornelius cared. All they know is that somebody has a message. And I believe there are people here that God is dealing with right now. He's dealing with you. And the reason you're not responding is because somehow you've allowed the devil to convince you you're disqualified. But Cornelius doesn't care tonight. And friend, God says, I'll help you. If you're willing to get up off the mat from the previous failure, if you're willing to lay aside your own bias, your own prejudice, your own selfishness, I want to tell you, God can use you. Let's stand together. We're going to open these altars. There are people here God's convicting you because the very people God has been using to bless you and you've had no appreciation for them. You ought to come down and say, God, give me a value and appreciation for these people that that have served and are ministering to me. All the things they're overcoming in their life, all the stuff that they're dealing with in their own life, and yet there they are bringing the gospel to me. God, help me to be grateful to the people you're using. Let's sing this worship, God,
1: this evening. Shout out my deep, of Robo, saying. This is my desire to honor. of you. I give you my heart, I give you my soul, and I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake.